Loading Brian Sovereign 4.0. Private Agent, Mnemonic Courier. Verifying that all software is DAPS compatible. Programs ready. Loading. Anarchism kernel. Loading. Tech news feeds. Loading. Secret history libraries. Loading. Hedonism theme. Loading. Cryptographic processes. Loading. Science software. Loading. Rationality and self-knowledge systems. Loading. Unimatrix Zero. Loading. Non-killing protocol. Loading. Open source sexuality subroutines. Loading. Triple Black API. Loading. Golden Stallion.RPM. Now ready for something Jack. duplicated baby without any need for intellectual property that's right the golden stallion there's only one the man of tomorrow sav zoo the rated r radio star here for an episode of sovereign tech there is only one it's not like highlander where there can be only one <laughs> or anything like that personally i don't care i wish there were tons of tech shows that covered what i'm talking about and then i i wouldn't have to do it anymore I could move on to other things, but there isn't. So the Golden Stallion has to come here every single week. And oh yes, for years, it's been every single week. No pod fade here, folks. I've got to do it. Now we got tons to cover this week, but before I get into it, why don't I tell you about something I am so, so excited about? (laughs) And that, of course is liberty forum 2016 manchester new hampshire i believe february 18th to the 21st uh in a the the, was it the radisson just a beautiful hotel it's going to be a great time it was a great time last year it's been it's been a great time every time (laughs) i've I've been going to liberty forum for a few years now uh and just i i love it (laughs) i i really do it's an event i i never want to miss always a good time in the hotel you know hit the pool the hot tub the whole thing uh but i will be hosting I will be the moderator for a phenomenal panel, the Future of Internet Privacy panel, 
And I will be joined by uh, Allison Macrina of the Library Freedom Project, uh, Nima Fatemi of the Library Freedom Project, as well as someone who works for the Tor Pro- or works with the Tor Pro- Project, which is very exciting. Jeremy Kaufman of LBRY.io, that's library, uh, very interesting blockchain technology. And of course, one of the most interesting, interesting of technologies today that's getting developed, uh, made safe, Paige Peterson, the absolutely amazing Paige Peterson will, uh, will be on the panel as well. And it's just, it's going to, I guarantee I always make my panels a good time. Uh, I, I, I usually get rave reviews for them and I'm not patting myself on the back, but like I always say, it ain't bragging if you could back it up. So I'm going to make sure it's a great time. You're going to want to be there. And also remotely, unfortunately, but whatever, remotely, Edward Snowden will be speaking at Liberty Forum. That's, it's going to be phenomenal. There's, there's lots of other great speakers, too. I mean, I'm just listing off a couple of things that uh, may be of more note to my listeners. Uh, but Liberty Forum's fantastic. You still got a couple weeks before it starts. You can still grab tickets. You can still show up. You can still do your thing. And I'll admit, you know, normally this time of year, the Golden Stallion is uh, reporting or recording from uh, Ice Planet Zero. <laughs> and it has been, I'm a little disappointed. Like, it has been such a mild uh, winter. I, I mean, incredibly mild. There's been days where it's been in the 50s, uh, just in like the past week, week and a half. Uh, I, I mean, it, you know, I'm a guy I love and I mean, with a deep passion, I love the winter. I love the snow. I love the cold, the colder, the better. The only place I want the heat <laughs> is in the bedroom, <laughs> but, but really I love the cold and, uh, it just, it hasn't been there this winter. So, I mean, if you show up, I mean, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe it'll be in the negative, uh, you know, negative degrees Fahrenheit, uh, by Liberty form, but honestly, it's been tame. I'm kind of hoping when I was younger, I was and then living in New York. There was a, a, a couple of years that I can remember particularly where it was still snowing in May. Uh, and of course that was New York, not New Hampshire. You have lake effect snow in, in New York, uh, at least upstate. But I, I really, I, I, I love that. So I wouldn't mind if that happened in, in New Hampshire this year, uh, but probably, probably not. So anyway, yeah, so the winter might not be so bad, <laughs> you know, if you decide to come up for Liberty Forum. So, uh, you know, do so. And don't hesitate to say hi. Of course, myself, of course, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy will be there also. And I'm sure many listeners of this show would love to say hi to her as well. Uh, you know, please don't hesitate, uh, you know, to, to schmooze on up and uh, and shake hands. So <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, go, you can go to, uh, I think it's libertyforum.org or freestateproject.org. Uh, we're going to talk more about the Free State Project during the uh, important messages segment this week. Uh, but go there. You can grab tickets. You can look into the event and everything. Again, tons of great speakers. Uh, in fact, there's going to be some other talks. I do know of one other talk uh, that's going to have to do with blockchain technology. In fact, a great guy that I really appreciate, uh, Christian Saucier. He's going to be giving that talk, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so that'll be uh, worth checking out as well. So Liberty Forum, come and see it. Anyway, let's get into the random access. Tons to cover this week, as always. Uh, you know, 
I, I've I've threatened it <laughs> in the past, uh, and it may become a reality soon to where I am doing Sovereign Tech twice a week. It may become a reality. I'm not going to guarantee that, but there's definitely enough content every week to cover. I really cannot get to uh, everything. That's why I do the course, the blogs at uh, zog.ninja. I do dark An- or darkandroid.info for the dark Android blog. Uh, and of course, then there's the Zog blog. Uh, all of it can be found at, uh, it, it's all the same website. It just has a ton of URLs that takes you to the same place. And so if there's something I don't cover and it's really important, there's probably a good chance I've talked about it on one of those blogs and you can read that. And I've gotten a lot of nice comments on my blogs, uh, people really appreciating my writing style, et cetera. And I, I'm really honored by that. Uh, but let's get into the random access. Let's, uh, you know, let's start off with something interesting. Uh, there is reports. There are reports now of Google, the new version of Google Glass being out in the wild. Now, it doesn't, uh, you know, get judging by the stories I've read of, you know, of people seeing it. It doesn't look I mean, you can tell it's different, but it doesn't look that different. Uh, but there is a new version of Google Glass out there. Now, this isn't new news per se, because we've known for a while that they are planning on rebranding uh, Google Glass for more professional settings. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. And again, you know, I don't have a problem. I've said this before. I don't like the idea of Google Glass. I don't like the idea of a camera just constantly pointing in every goddamn direction. OK, that, you know, that people are wearing all the time. Uh I mean, that's just that's my opinion on it. I don't dig it. You know, if you wanted to go build a society where everybody has a camera strapped to their face, well, you go ahead and, you know, and go do that. But, you know, really, there's there's people's privacy uh, worthy of being respected. But, you know, I don't mind these things and I can see the use. You know, there's lots of technologies coming out like there's smart rings, which boy, we could talk about that in another episode of Sovereign Tech, uh, you know, the, all kinds of wearables and all this other bullshit. And even Google Glass, I, I've talked about for years on this show, saying, you know, it, it's there, there's no market for this. And the market bore that out. Uh, you know, what what passes off as a market uh, in our corporatist world, uh, you know, be, really bore that out. Um, but within pre- professional realms like mechanics, uh, even doctors and all the rest, I don't have a single problem with it. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think it's an actually it's a great technology. Uh, for that within professional settings, it's, you know, and I've talked about this before, you know, most people, a lot of the technologies, especially a lot of the wearables, a lot of the stuff that that Silicon Valley is schlepping onto people uh, today, you know, is it all looks very science fiction. And I'll admit the Google, that Google Glass looks very science fiction. Uh, and let me talk about that in a second. But the thing is, is that, you know, in science fiction, most people are doing something pretty epic. You know, be it they're, I don't know, they're on an away mission or, you know, they're on some kind of exploration mission or they're doing some kind of repairs onto a, you know, really awesome starship or something like that. And that's the thing is that most people's lives, and I'm not insulting anybody, but I'm just saying it's a fact. Most people's lives aren't that exciting. <laughs> you know, like they're not they're not doing that much. Uh, in fact, it's so funny when a lot of these wearables come out. What are usually the demos that people use them for? Well, they're skydiving, um, they're skiing, you know, they're, they're doing some kind of like, quote unquote, cool thing. And then, yes, you see the use for Google Glass. But most people don't do anything remotely like that. Like most people, I mean, even people of means are just going to convention after convention and then going to a bar, you know, and getting trashed and whatever. And like, really, how does Google Glass enhance any of that experience? I mean, yeah, you can say, well, it could record how dumb I was last night while I was trashed. Yeah. OK, fine. Uh, you know, I, I guess you could say that. But you get my point. So uh, the person I believe that they saw 
wearing the Google, the Google Glass, the new version, uh, was actually, you know, uh, either a football player or somebody involved with, with football. I'm, I'm not a sports guy, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't recognize the name. Um, but anyway, this lends to a really interesting point, and that is, you know, speaking of science fiction, I re- there is a movie, and this movie is really still well worth a lot of exploration because some some films come out that are so uh, uh, littered, not necessarily in a bad way, but so littered with future technologies, like the movie will take place, say, maybe in the near future or even not so near future, but there'll be so many technologies in it and you'll look at it and you'll go, yeah, I bet they're working on that. And that's where they came up with this. And one of the movies I've brought up, uh, especially in the, the early earlier episodes of Sovereign Tech, uh, is the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, The Sixth Day. Uh, And the sixth day is all about cloning and all this stuff. But it actually gave this really interesting, uh, you know, it came out in the late 90s and it gave a really interesting depiction of what the future because it didn't take too far off. It didn't take place too far into the future. And it gave an interesting depiction of all that. You know, there's repets, which are these genetically engineered pets that are meant to look just like the one that you lost. You know, say your cat or your dog dies. They will just create, you know, they'll, they'll create a repet, uh, you know, a replicant effectively. There was the, uh, the, the refrigerator that would automatically order food for you. I mean, there was all these different things. But one of the things within that, speaking of a, fo- a football player wearing the new Google Glass, was now, of course, some of the predictions were off in this movie because they were showing the XFL, which was that was a sport that I watched just because it was run by Vince McMahon. And of course, Jim Ross and, and uh, uh, Jerry the King Lawler were the were the announcers for it. But but the XFL was this attempt at creating a new football league, the Smash Mouth Football League. And it only went for a season. Um, but anyway, the XFL was in the movie The Sixth Day. And in that they had, you know, the football players, you know, they're wearing their helmets and there was a visor on. And that visor was giving a bunch of heads up information a la Google Glass, you know, and, and it was feeding it to the, you know, to the quarterback and, and whoever else, you know, and, and, and like, you know, assessing the situation and everything. Uh, so I find it kind of interesting. I'm not saying there was anything predictive, you know, like intentionally predictive or anything here, um, but I just find it interesting that, well, so now we see the new Google Glass that's supposed to be used in, you know, in different settings and who's wearing it, none other than a football player. And football is definitely like if you watch the sixth day you kind of get it you're like okay yeah i could see why a sort of a heads-up technology would be useful within this sport and with and for this use uh so you know in that regard it makes sense uh and again you know the thing to really and and mike elgin uh just a a great guy who uh you know real real tech journalist hero of mine uh mike elgin actually has made a great point in the past that i've mentioned on sovereign tech before but uh that if, if Google really wanted it to take over as a consumer device, they needed to make the camera detachable, not just cover it up, make it completely detachable, you know, and just have it be a heads up device. Now, it might not work as well when all it is is just a heads up display and like, you know, kind of a notification center of sorts, much like a lot of Android Wear is. Um, but that would have made it a little more palatable uh, to people. And I think he's right about that. Uh, but. It is going to end up in professional settings. It might even end up getting used in sports. Uh, and in those settings, I have no problem with it. I think it's it's just fine and dandy. And I actually think it's a good idea for those settings, not for society at large, 
but within those settings. Uh, anyway, spend a lot more time talking about Google Glass than I planned. On. <laughs> Let's, but uh, it, it is out there. It is a thing. Uh, you know, there's there's been absolutely no talk of it being available uh, to the average consumer whatsoever, but it does exist. Uh, let's see. Let's let's switch gears to another company, uh, Microsoft. A couple of things uh, this week that happened that are interesting. Now, Microsoft has been they, they really in the past past year and a half, really ever since Satya Nadella took over, they were on this rise where I was like, holy shit, this company's doing a complete 180. They are, you know, like they are really shaping up. And I felt like for a little while that they actually gave a shit about the consumer. Uh, which is a rare thing for for most companies in Silicon Valley. Um, but th things have changed recently. <laughs> Honestly, ever since OneDrive Gate, uh, which I did an episode on before, uh, One, OneDrive Gate is the case where they were offering, you know, in 2014, they said, okay, you know, any OneDrive subscriber is now going to get unlimited cloud storage with OneDrive. And then a year later, they take it all away. I mean, and, and they, they did worse than just take it all, all, you know, all away. Like they, they dropped, they, they made it so that you couldn't buy more. I don't think you can buy more than a terabyte of, of online storage now, which before you could, you could purchase more than that. You can't do that. Uh, I mean, there's just, they really put a lot of restrictions on their cloud storage. Uh, and it was crazy. And they, they've done other things as late, um, that we've talked about that are just, you know, really heinous and, and just a, a complete, you know, they were on such a good path. They were open sourcing a bunch of technologies. They had a lot of really exciting stuff going on. They're building some pretty cool hardware and all that. And then they just, they've gone downhill and even more so a little bit more of a story here. <laughs> uh, Microsoft edge, which is the web browser that comes with uh, windows 10 or even windows 10 mobile. Uh, Microsoft edge has a, you know, what's similar to an incognito mode uh, like Chrome has, or similar to what Firefox has, you know, to where all of your, you know, supposedly it stops tracking whatever you're doing, uh, your extensions get turned off, all of this stuff, um, or, you know, by and large, your extensions get turned off. That that works with varying degrees on, on other web browsers. But Microsoft Edge, uh, you know, when, you're have, when you have this kind of, this, this veritable incognito mode on, it's not supposed to be tracking anything you're doing anymore. And it's certainly not supposed to be sending that information to, um, you know, mother Microsoft, but they found out that actually it's still tracking everything you do. It's still recording everything you do. And Microsoft edge is still transmitting everything you do within this incognito, within this privacy mode, it is still sending it all off to Microsoft. So don't use Microsoft edge. <laughs> and of course, if you're concerned about that sort of thing, don't use Google Chrome either. Uh, because I, I guarantee you Google is still recording. I mean, it's right. And you know, I mentioned this a lot, but the terms of service have not changed for this. And so it's important to bring it up. Every single thing you type into the Omni bar into that's, that's the address bar. Okay. Everything you type in there, search web addresses, whatever you type into the Omni bar in Google Chrome gets sent to Google. That's been a known fact. <laughs> okay. For, for a long, long time. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind, uh, not to say Firefox is perfect. Certainly I could recommend sea monkey or ice cat or Copzilla, Uh, but Firefox is definitely the, the least, uh, I don't even want to really call them evil, but just, they, they've been playing some, uh, they've been making some moves with closed source companies that I haven't appreciated as late. So they're worth keeping an eye on too. But anyway, if you care about your privacy, uh, Microsoft does not. So, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, or at least Microsoft Edge doesn't. So, you know, just don't don't really don't bother with it. Uh, but another interesting move by Microsoft this week was the acquisition of SwiftKey. Now, SwiftKey is uh, well, it's it's for iOS now, too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but SwiftKey is an Android and iOS uh, keyboard alternative uh, that, you know, it's actually as far now. Yes, it's collecting everything you type in. And if Microsoft Edge is to be believed, believe me, Microsoft is now collecting everything you type into your iOS or Android device. If you use SwiftKey, um, you know, that aside, as far as on a, just a pure functionality level of how well does it work? Uh, it is, in my opinion, function-wise, the best keyboard on Android, and and I guess by default on iOS. Then um, it has you know swipe typing. Uh, the nice thing about it, the thing that really takes it over the edge for me, as far as you know being the best out there, is that it has arrow keys. Um, and these, you know, you can like, you can configure what keys exist on the keyboard, which is somewhat unique. So you can put a number row across the top and you can put arrow keys across the bottom, which is so fucking handy when you're really being particular and wanting to correct stuff that you're typing out and all that. Uh, and there's other, it has good emoji features and all this. And I've brought up swift key before because swift key allows for uh, predictive, you know, uh, 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 typing to where it can now guess up to like, like two words that you're going to type next. And in fact, I, I did the, we, I did that episode. A lot of people really loved it. I did the episode, um, with Wes Bertrand, uh, about, uh, what was it? Will Hal open the pod day pod bay doors of the mind. Uh, this was a few weeks back. And on that, I mentioned swift key and I said, boy, you know, we're going to be, <laughs> you know, you're going to know AI serious when suddenly things like swift key are going to be guessing three uh, uh, you know, words after what you want to type, because then you're getting into, you know, you're getting well into full on SVO patterns that this thing is guessing that you're going to type, uh, you know, and that's a pretty impressive algorithm on their part. And of course, Swift key also has, what do they have a uh, Swift key neural, uh, which is a keyboard that's supposed to, you know, well, anyway, the <laughs> point being Microsoft, the reason that they bought this, I don't think it was to collect all the information of what you type. They could certainly do that in a million other ways, considering the amount of Windows PCs out there. Uh, the real thing here that they were wanting, I think, is this this neural technology that I just mentioned. They are wanting to create, you know, better uh, AI, better. Pre and you got to be careful with how you use the word artificial intelligence. I don't necessarily mean strong AI, uh, but they do want, you know, better AI overall. Uh, I think that's what's really behind this. And also, there is the fact that Microsoft has been acquiring a lot of app companies. They've acquired Wonderlist. Uh, they acquired the Sunshine Calendar. A lot of really high-end stuff. And then there was the email that they turned into Outlook. Was it Compli? I, I don't recall the name of it. Uh, but they are creating a complete suite. I mean, what I think could happen is, is that with SwiftKey now, even more particularly, uh, they could they could effectively come out with their own version of Android even though they're already working deeply with uh, cyanogen mod, which we've talked about how they've, uh, or not cyanogen mod, but cyanogen ink. Uh, those are two different things. And within cyanogen OS, Cortana is now built into it. Not cyanogen mod, but cyanogen OS. Uh, so Microsoft really, you know, they're, they're creating a complete platform here. Uh, they did have their Wordflow keyboard. They've had a couple keyboards in the past. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, to, to varying degrees of reviews, uh, SwiftKey will certainly add to those abilities. Uh, but as far as I know, the SwiftKey keyboard itself isn't going anywhere. Uh, some things like the Sunshine Calendar just got rolled into the Outlook app. 
Um, but SwiftKey is going to be around. But anyway, yeah, Microsoft, I mean, they really, they have every all the pieces that they need to create their own Android uh, operating system. They could, they could create a Surface phone. And maybe this is something that'll happen because people have talked a lot about the Microsoft Surface phone. Uh, but they could create a Surface phone and you know, have it release it and have it be an Android device, kind of like how BlackBerry, you know, used to run BlackBerry 10, but now BlackBerry phones run, uh, you know, run Android. Well, they, there could be a Microsoft Android effectively, uh, you know, that, that could be a reality and it could be, that could be how they release their own hardware is with that software. I could see that happening. So anyway, interesting that that's, you know, the real purpose behind getting SwiftKey, I think was, you know, there's been like with SwiftKey Neural, there's been some interesting uh, uh, progression in the field of AI. Uh, so that, that's really what I think is behind that because kind of, you know, Microsoft's had its own keyboard already. Certainly SwiftKey is, is like I said, on a pure functional level, it's the best of the bunch. So it, it's not a bad move on their part anyway. Uh, let's see what other stories we got here. Um, yeah, all right. Here's here's a little bit of an interesting thing. Uh, cat.cr, of course, cat.cr is the web address for kick-ass torrents. And of course, Sovereign Tech is the show where we admit that torrents exist and we recommend them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, they did, boy, they did something interesting this week. Uh, there was a complete change in the function of the website. And I don't know if this had to do with uh, Google Chrome or, you know, Chrome has recently been really pushing hard on creating what they call safe browsing to where they're, you're getting rid of a lot of uh, like one of the recent things they did this week is they got rid of, or supposedly they are blocking sites or at least the content itself that, uh, you know, creates a fake download button. Now, this is common. If you go to, was it like Softpedia and some of these other sites, perhaps um, they will have, you'll see like you're, you're going to download a piece of software and you see like five download buttons and you're like, well, fuck, which one's for the actual, and some of them will be real, really tricky because they'll put it right next to the name of the software or something, but it's actually just an ad, uh, you know, or maybe it's something that'll, that'll download malware or whatever. So, you know, these, these things exist. It's a real problem. I'll admit to that. But now Google Chrome is actually blocking those supposedly from showing up. Um, and so uh, Kick-Ass Torrents has had a bit of a rocky road as late to where it has been blocked over and over again um, by Google Chrome. You know, if you go to access it with Firefox, generally it wasn't a problem. Um, but with, well, that's not always true because Firefox, you know, speaking of unfortunate moves on their part, they are working or they are starting to implement further uh, Google's browsing APIs. Uh, so, you know, anything that Google Chrome finds fishy, you know, not as in, uh, not as in PH, <laughs> that's a totally different thing. Um, but anything that Google Chrome finds fishy, Mozilla, you know, Firefox will now find, find fishy as well. Um, but, but kick-ass torrents was getting blocked quite a bit. And so I noticed that they did a UI change to where they ironically made kick-ass torrents look exactly like Google. Um, and it's, it's a good clean look. Uh, you know, I'm a little, I actually liked, cause this is what made mini Nova, the, talking about torrent, great torrent sites uh, in the back in the day before mini Nova was taken down. Uh, the cool thing that mini Nova had was the, the, you know, the opening page, the main page would show you, you know, it, it would break things down into categories, uh, you know, music, uh, movies, books, anime, you know, and you go down the list. Kick-ass torrents had the same thing, but now their main site goes to this, you know, Google replica you know, google.com search replica kind of thing. And you can search, 
you know, for your torrents that way. Uh, so, I mean, I get it. It's kind of cool that it's, it, it's trying to make it look that easy to use torrents. And I really support that. Uh, but I still like that categorization, uh, breakdown, but all you have to do kind of like how you would, when you're on google.com, if you, you know, there's the word Google, if you click on that, it will take you to, I don't know, what do they have their Google doodle? And it'll show you searches based upon that. If you click on kick-ass torrents above the search bar, at cat.cr, it will take you to that full view, uh, where, uh, you know, where it shows you, um, you know, where it shows you the categories and what's the latest within each category. Cause that's the way I like to look for torrents. Uh, and you can just type in cat.cr slash full and it will, uh, it'll take you, uh, to that. And something that, that people were telling me about this week, uh, I don't know if I'll get to it during uh, important messages, but it's called Wefre, W E F R E. And I, I don't know how to pronounce that exactly, but this is interesting. Speaking of torrents, uh, not necessarily torrents, but Wefri is this competitor to Spotify, to YouTube. I mean, you know, how well it's going to integrate video, I'm not entirely sure, but it's a competitor to all these streaming services. And you can't necessarily upload anything to it. It's not like that, but it's completely free. And how it works is, and this is interesting because you don't have to pay for it, but you can listen to any music you want music, at least anyway. And how it's doing this is it's actually pulling the APIs. As I understand how this works, Wefri is pulling the APIs that Spotify uses and that YouTube uses, and it's putting it into, you know, a, a more or less a free service that doesn't have any ads. Uh, I mean, and it's a really slick looking implementation. W E F R E. If you want to look into that, uh, some people messaged me about it saying, Hey, you know, is this a YouTube alternative and all that? Uh, it's got a little ways to go before it becomes anything too serious, but it, you know, as it stands right now, it's kind of like, if you know, what popcorn time was, it's kind of the pop popcorn time, uh, for music, you know, at, at least in its present, uh, implementation. And it does, you know, and that's interesting because it's completely legal as a service because all it's doing is creating a separate interface that pulls from completely quote unquote legal APIs. Uh, and I, I think it's an interesting thing. If, if, if you're into that sort of thing, you know, look it up. <laughs> it's, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, let's see a little bit of Uber news. Um, of course, Uber uh, is a company that really uh, appreciates supporting the police, unfortunately. Uh, but at least, hey, they're showing their cards. I know a lot of libertarians, oh, Uber is just so goddamn wonderful. Well, Uber uh, loves itself some uh, some government and some police. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how wonderful of a company they are. Uh, or I know they're not a wonderful company. <laughs> and as I've said before, uh, and this has recently come to light and, and people pointed it out on social media saying, hey, Sovereign Tech, you know, Brian Sovereign had this called that Uber has all has pretty much always been planning to be, you know, use driverless cars. Um, but that's not what was interesting this week. Uh, yes, that is true. That is the way they're going. And so even those people that are like, oh, Uber's creating so many jobs. No, <laughs> no, you're just, you know, anybody working for Uber, you're just a stepping stone and you will be stepped on uh, eventually until, you know, for, you're a stepping stone to get to the point where, you know, Uber is a fleet of driverless cars. But uh, they changed and a lot of people were really kind of stunned by this. And you'd think it wasn't a big deal, but I want to explain why it is a big deal. They changed their iconography uh, this week. And you'd say, how could that possibly be a big story? Well, it kind of is. 
Uh, they, you know, it used to be the classic U shape. You know, it was just the letter U, depending on what OS you're using. And that was representative of Uber. Kind of made sense. Now they have this weird shape, like kind of this hexagon or maybe an octagon, uh, a white one. You know, there's no U whatsoever in, you know, for U for Uber uh, in this. And then there's this little dot in the middle that they call a bit. Uh, Wired did this huge story on, you know, what was behind the, the, the thinking behind creating this new, uh, this new iconography and these new symbols, uh, you know, for, for Uber. And the main Uber symbol is just this little bit, this tiny bit in the center of this, you know, this hexagon or octagon or whatever, or whatever. There's other shapes too. Uh, but it's this little bit in the center. And then there's just a line going to the bit. Now, what this is all about is, you know, Uber was saying, hey, you know, we're not just a, a you know, we're not just a, a taxi service effectively anymore. We're doing so much more. And they are. They're doing food delivery. They're doing all kinds of things. And they're so really their main symbol isn't the one if you have Uber on your smartphone right now and you see that, you know, you see that that octagon or hexagon, whatever. Um, that's not really the symbol. That's just representative of their, you know, of their driving service. The symbol is actually the bit and in using the name bit, I think it's them saying, look, we're a major technology company. We are going to be the under, you know, we're going to be the infrastructure underneath maybe everything is what they're planning for. Uh, and I, I just, I find it really interesting that, you know, they're, they're kind of using the bit, you know, th this very minimalist uh, symbol. And I don't, you know, I don't really, I don't have a huge, <laughs> I don't care what they use as their iconography, but the main point that I think is interesting here is that, you know, with, with what they're doing and kind of the, the underlying way that they're, they're marketing their services and, and sort of what I think this iconography kind of shows, and you can look at a bunch of the other symbols that they have online. I think Uber, I don't think their competition is Lyft. I think Uber is planning on being the competition to Amazon. And we're going to talk about Amazon uh, more here in just a minute. Uh, and this is this is really interesting to, to consider because, you know, who is Amazon's competition? Well, I don't think Amazon has any competition. Uh, <laughs> I think they are they are the company. You know, most people want to say, well, in fact, recently, Google is now valued as the you know, it's the most valuable company on the planet. Now they, they just recently bested Apple. And that's how most people think right now is they think, oh, it's, it's Apple and Google. Like whenever you think of the, the greatest company on the planet or the, uh, you know, the most famous or, you know, most valuable company on the planet, et cetera, um, it's either Apple or Google. You know, those are the most popular, but I don't think that's true. And I've been saying this for years on Sovereign Tech. In fact, I said by 2017, it's not going to be Apple versus Google. It's going to be Amazon versus Samsung. Um, and I'm not I'm not going to make any edits on that prediction. But I think what Uber is really going after, what Uber's real competition is and their, you know, their whole ride service and effectively, you know, soon their driverless car service, the real competition that they're going after as an entire platform is Amazon as a platform uh, because Uber really becomes, you know, the, the Amazon's power is in that it's a monopsony, not, a, not a monopoly, a monopsony. Okay. That means that they, not that they control uh, the production of every product, you know, like a monopoly does, but that they control the distribution. Well, Uber could actually disrupt that 
from, you know, from Amazon, what I call the Amazon World Domination Tour. Uh, so I think this is interesting that that Amazon's real competition is Uber. Now, of course, you know, the one company that, you know, speaking of the most popular companies. OK, so the most valuable company in the world right now is Google. Who has Google publicly admitted is their competition? Google's competition is Amazon. That's that's what they said. They, they they didn't say their competition was Microsoft. They didn't say their competition was Apple. Apple's not even on the roadmap. Doesn't doesn't matter. Okay. The the competition for them is Amazon and they know it. Okay. And I think Amazon is going to be the premier company, not just tech company, but they will be that too. But they will be the premier company on the planet in very short order. And really they already are just people haven't admitted to it. They haven't realized it yet, even though we've been saying it for years. On Sovereign Tech, it's long been, I've long predicted this, uh, but Uber is the up and comer. And maybe that's why Google was so interested in investing in them. Uh, Uber is the up and comer that could actually, that could take on uh, Amazon. I mean, this is a possibility. And I think this, the change in iconography is, uh, is pointing in that direction, that they are not just a ride service. They are an entire platform. They are an entire infrastructure. They really are. So, I mean, I could go into more about that. I mean, you know, they could create their own network with all of their cars and all this stuff. I mean, they could become an, an entire alternative infrastructure to any other tech company out there. Uh, it's, it's really, you know, it's something to consider. But anyway, while we're talking about Amazon, that actually leads into our main story this week. Uh, that is, well, I don't want to say it's, it's bad because it's Amazon, but it's interesting what's happening here. And it's something that may, that really kind of needs to happen in my opinion. So let's get into it. And this is definitely attributable to, you know, more of uh, Amazon's monopsony uh, power here. And this is from Bloomberg. Uh, Amazon hiring comedians, engineers for growing audio service. And I just want to start reading into it and then, you know, we'll break it down. What exactly is uh, what's going on here? Um, Audible is expanding to offer radio style programming podcasts, which they've already been been doing for a little while uh and division is advertising for almost 100 positions worldwide so mainly what we're going to talk about here is audible but i think it goes much further than that uh reading the story amazon.com is ramping up its investment in podcasts and other radio style shows to expand the types of programming it offers via audible the audiobook company it acquired in 2008 audible has recruited well-known comedians along with radio and podcast producers for the initiative and job posts suggest a significant global push. Maria Bamford and Jonathan Katz are taping episodes of Bedtime Stories, a show in which comedians rewrite uh, fairy tales, according to their manager, Bruce Smith. Uh, entertainment plays a crucial role in Amazon's effort to push beyond its core business of selling books, laundry detergent, and televisions online. The Seattle-based company's original films and TV shows have won critical acclaim and helped increase the appeal of its $99 a year prime service, which includes every discount uh, or delivery discounts along with video and music streaming. Audible has more than 250,000 audio programs, including books and plays, with downloads available for iPhones, Androids, and other smartphone systems. Quote, Amazon is doing Audible uh, is doing to Audible what it's done to Prime Video, investing in original programming, end quote, said Nick Kwa, an executive at the Graham's holding company Panoply Podcast Network, who also writes a newsletter about the industry. Quote, Amazon is hiring a ton of really good producers and managers out of public radio to acquire podcasts and develop shows of their own, end quote. Audible declined to comment on its plans, including the types of shows and formats it's working on and how they'll be marketed. 
The company offers a fourteen ninety excuse me, $14.95 a month subscription to its catalog of audiobooks and entertainment. North American media sales at Amazon, including books, grew 8% in 2015. Podcasts and other radio programs are a sweetener for existing members and to entice new ones. Audible sells product uh, products individually, along with monthly subscriptions that include access, yada, yada, yada. That's what they do. Uh, let's read on. Radio-style programs could also be a good extension of Amazon's voice-activated speaker, Echo. Of course, Alexa, download every episode of Sovereign Tech. <laughs> I have, folks, I have no, you know, it's so funny. Just Stallion breaking in for a second here on this story. It's so funny because so many people are like, you know, they get mad if you say, okay, Google, or if you say, hey, Siri, or hey, Cortana, or whatever. You know, if people say that on podcasts, everybody, you know, like will email into these podcasts and say, please stop saying that or bleep it out or something because you're activating the devices in my house and all that. I have no sympathy if you have that shit turned on. <laughs> if you have an Amazon Echo, if you have a giant microphone plugged into your wall and that is listening to you at all times, I have no sympathy for that. So, Alexa, uh, please purchase. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, but yeah, you know, the Echo is just saying real quick here. The Echo is a runaway hit. Uh, you know, it's not even a sleeper hit anymore. It was originally we talked about it on Cybertech and we, everybody. It's so funny because everybody said in, in the tech world, a lot of people were saying. And of course, I said it on Cybertech. I said, this thing's creepy as fuck. It is, you know, these these seven really high end microphones and, and people talk about, oh, well, it's amazing. I can yell from any room in my house and somehow Alexa hears me. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, and everybody's OK with this because people love this goddamn device. In fact, John C. Dvorak said he thinks that there's, he said, he, I mean, he's, you know, joking more or less, but he said that he thinks that there's a subliminal message getting transmitted by Alexa to make people love it <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's not okay. Who's collecting all of, you know, all of that audio. Um, and of course there's a new version of, uh, of the echo coming out that is portable and you can carry with you and all that, how well that'll work out is a whole other story. Anyway, reading on with the, uh, with the story, with the, the story here. Um, yeah, radio style programs could also be a good extension of Amazon's voice activated speaker Echo, which already plays customized news from National Public Radio and the British and the BBC. Amazon is targeting household with households with gadgets that make it easier to order things you need and enjoy on demand entertainment, which, well, I'll finish that sentence. Echo owners bought three times as many items as the typical Amazon shopper in 2015, according to data from Slice Intelligence. OK, so you see, Stanley breaking. And that's that's what the Echo is really for. It's not to give you this wonderful personal assistant and all the shit. It's to get you to buy more shit. And now, you know, as, as we're seeing through through this story, it's also to have you buy into, uh, you know, Amazon's uh, entertainment ecosystem. OK, now I'm, I'm not going to go into the story any further. You can finish reading it. It's in the show notes for episode episode 162 now, I believe. Uh, and, you know, you can read the rest of it there. But I want to break into what's going on here. Because this is really Amazon becoming a leader in the entertainment space. Now, with Amazon Prime, they already have some, uh, you know, very high end shows. Uh, there's no, you know, no doubt about that. Uh, but. I you see this is the catch 22 is that podcasting amazingly. I know people listening to this show wouldn't believe it, but there really are. There are millions, if not billions of people that have no clue podcasts exist. 
or have no clue, like they, they just don't listen to podcasts or whatever. And there are millions of podcasts, or at least hundreds of thousands of podcasts, I'm sure, out there that perhaps people would love that they've just never heard. And so, you know, podcasting is the future. It's, it's, I know, yes, it's here and it's very real for so many people. And for a lot of people, it's their primary form of entertainment or infotainment or whatever. Uh, but for a lot of other people, it's not yet. And it will be. <laughs> it's on track to be the big thing. Uh, and, but no company has really capitalized on it. In fact, Google Play Music uh, was was integrating, you know, podcasts into it. And that some people have already started receiving the service uh, for Google Play Music. And honestly, it sucks. Like the way they've the way they've implemented it, like when you are searching for podcasts, because what podcasts really need, it needs content curation. Somebody, some service needs to be out there that takes podcasting seriously besides iTunes, because, again, most people don't use iOS devices. They use Android devices or something else. There's, you know, yes, people spend money, you know, more people spend money when they, that they use iOS devices. You know, there's evidence for that. But most people don't use iOS devices. Okay, so most people don't use iTunes, and thus most people don't discover, uh, you know, podcasts through it. But Apple themselves don't—they don't take podcasts seriously enough. And the first company to come out that takes podcasts seriously, okay, and tries to get it out there as a genuine entertainment medium and all the rest, uh, is is looking at billions in the future. Now it looks like I thought Google was going to be the one that did that, but with Google Play Music, the way they've and Sovereign Tech is available on Google Play Music. Uh, as a podcast, but the way they've did it is they, th the search bar in Google play music just, just does like this, this wanton search where it's not podcast specific. And that's a failure. It should have been, you know, when you are looking for a podcast, you should not have to also, you know, you shouldn't end up with search results for music or movies or whatever else gets available in Google play. It should be specifically podcasts. So Google dropped the ball on this one. And I was really hoping, you know, just for, in the interest of podcasts, not in helping any of these, you know, really fucking heinous companies that are just arms of the government. Uh, you know, not, I really wanted them to, to bring podcasts to the fore and they haven't, but it looks like Amazon will be the company to do so. And thus it bolsters what I'm saying in that Amazon is very much the company of the future. This is this is a huge, huge opportunity on Amazon's part. And for them to get original programming for all, I mean, they're going to become, you know, you already have Amazon Prime where you can watch streaming services. It becomes your television service. In fact, the fire, if you're using the fire TV stick and all that, uh, you can get uh, Showtime and stars. So, I mean, you can get networks uh, now. You know, Amazon isn't taking over the television. It's taking over, quote unquote, radio and podcasts as well. More so than any other company in Apple and Google could have done all this well beforehand, but Amazon's, you know, they're on top of it. And so they're going to become, you know, in an entertainment monopsony, not monopoly, monopsony. And in so doing, as I've said with Kindle Unlimited, because this is similar to what they're doing with Kindle Unlimited and, of course, Audible as well, uh, you know, where you are kind of with Audible, where you, you know, you pay one fee or if you have Amazon Prime, you automatically get, uh, uh, you know, access to an unlimited amount of books. You don't have to pay for the books anymore. You can just, you know, use the Kindle app and they will pay the authors based upon how much is read. Now, if Amazon is hiring, uh, uh, you know, talent like podcast talent or radio talent, whatever, if they're hiring out there as well, I mean, the whole world is effect, you know, could have effectively become 
at least in the art world and the entertainment world, could become an employee of Amazon. This is another thing. Game developers, same deal. I mean, Amazon is really poised to take over the entire entertainment industry. Take the whole goddamn thing over. We talked about this before on Sovereign Tech. There's the Amazon Underground app, which allows you to play premium games that normally you'd have to spend hundreds of dollars in in-app purchases to play. And they are, um, you know, they're, they're allowing you to play them for free. You don't have to purchase the IAP. You can pay, you know, you can play Angry Birds and you don't, you never have to pay a dime. In Amazon, you know, how does Amazon make money out of the deal? Well, they sell hardware. Okay. And maybe they, they lead people into their ecosystem, kind of like what's happening with the Amazon Echo. Okay. But the game companies themselves, you know, now they have become like a, a Rovio, which is the company that make Angry Birds. And there was a report earlier this week that said, the companies, you know, as an average, the game companies that are now working with Amazon Underground and offering their games completely for free, all the in-app purchases completely for free, have seen a 40% revenue increase in 2015. That's huge. So the companies are making money, but what the companies, I mean, yeah, they just want to make their money, yada, 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 but they don't realize they're becoming an employee of Amazon and they're going to rely on on Amazon in the future, and if Amazon, whatever terms Amazon wants to lay out on anybody, uh, people are going to have to follow it because if they don't, you know, they're going to lose out on all that revenue that's coming in through the very unique service that is Amazon Underground. They can't just go, you know, and, and put, uh, you know, make make their game available somewhere else and not have in-app purchases in it and do that all for free and make money. No, that only works because Amazon's paying them out. So this this is this is creepy shit. That, that Amazon's doing here. But at the same time, you know, it, it's, it, I'm of two minds on it because at the same time, I hope that Amazon becomes the platform that actually brings some prominence uh, to podcasts beyond their own content that they're putting out there. I think they're putting out that, you know, they want to create their own in-house, really high-end production, original content, uh, you know, to, to allow people, you know, or to, to cause people maybe to pay into the service because something else that they announced was that they are creating a, I mean, they already have Amazon Prime Music that has something, I don't know, 20 million songs or something like that that's available. It's a competitor to Spotify and Google Play Music and all that. Um, but I guess they're making one that's a little more serious, uh, you, you know, that's a little more uh, that has a, a broader range of music because it definitely has the a lesser amount of music than perhaps the other services. And now, you know, just to add on to that, another story this week. I mean, I just I want to show you, you know, I really want to give you the overall picture here of what Amazon has going on. Uh, Amazon is supposedly opening 300 to 400 uh, retail stores. Now, there's question on whether or not the first report was that they were bookstores. Supposedly, they may not be bookstores. They might just be, you know, some kind of retail store or whatever. So they open up these stores. And, you know, even if they are bookstores, you know, people, th th there's been some degree of reports out there that said that bookstores are actually kind of on the rise as far as making money. A lot of these independent bookstores. Now, why is that? I mean, there's there's cheaper and easier ways to get your hands on books. The thing is, is that there aren't cheaper and easier ways to connect with people in real time and in real life. And so Amazon with these stores, I think they're creating hangouts they're creating place for you to go you know to hang out with other people and there will be amazon hardware on display and other shit from amazon on display for you to check out uh you know i mean they, they could make a deal with starbucks or something who knows you know and and then these amazon stores will become you know the new cool place 
I mean, it's it's amazing what Amazon's got going on here. And, you know, these can take on uh, the Apple stores and all this other stuff uh, to where there could be major launch events that happened at these things. Or there could be live shows for all this, uh, you know, new radio and podcast content going on. I mean, it, it's it's brilliant. It's creepy, but it's brilliant, uh, you know, business strategy that that Amazon's playing. And it's all finally coming to fruition. The Amazon World Domination Tour is really on track and all most people other than perhaps sovereign tech i don't mean to pat myself on the back but most people missed it they didn't even see it coming that amazon would become you know just this monstrosity you know of a tech company and even an entertainment company uh and all the rest because they're everywhere now We've been covering them for years. The classic episode where I talked about how they're going to take their old Kindles and turn them into point of sale devices and allow them to create their own currency that those devices can use because they already have Amazon software built in. We've been talking about that for over two years. That's why I said Amazon never, ever, ever has to take Bitcoin and they never will. Okay, they've got this huge infrastructure and they're just building it up more and more and people aren't putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But you've got them here on Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Sovereign. I'll be back with more. Whoa. Hey, okay. Live read. <laughs> Just a couple of things I want to tell you about real quick uh, before we get back to Sovereign Tech. First off, of course, Sex and Science Hour. It's coming back, baby. The lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, we are going to be in full force. On April 8th, 2016, you can set your calendars. We will be releasing new episodes of Sex and Science Hour. Of course, you can go to uh, SovereignTech.com or ZOG.Ninja, and you can listen to the uh, first 20 episodes uh, there that were just exceptionally popular. Uh, you can check that out. But other things, of course, Liberty Forum. Uh, I will be hosting a panel there. I have great panelists uh, for that, the future of Internet privacy. And another thing I want to tell you about quick, if you go to SovereignTech.com, if you see the Support Us tab up there, if you want to donate, you can donate. But some Thing I've added is there is now a um, I've created an Amazon wish list. Boy, speaking of Amazon, I created an Amazon wish list that if you want to help us get supplies for uh, Sovereign Tech and the other things that we do here, uh, you can click on that and there are things that you could purchase that will send automatically to us and, it, you know, to me and it really helps out. It helps out a lot. Uh, so do uh, check that out. But anyway, woo! <laughs> more stuff coming up. Let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Welcome, Agent Sovereign. Please put on your headset to enter virtual reality. I'm ready. Hit me. Now entering Unimatrix Zero. <sighs> I love this place. Secret community away from the... Hey, Agent Sovereign. Hello, who are you? I'm Pixel. I like this place you've built in VR. Encrypted, secure, and very private. No one from the corporate system to see us or tell us what to do. And if you're here, you must be friends with... <laughs> oh yes, I've met the other girls, Brian. But I'm here now because we have another mission. We need to hack into the new system. They're about to... Tell me on the way. Let's get out of Unimatrix Zero. And don't worry, a quick hack solves everything. Hacksack. It is time for Hacksack, where we cover issues of hackers and security, uh, certainly privacy as well. And uh, this is 
This week, I want to, this is kind of a following up. Uh, a lot of this episode is, is sort of following up on things. Uh, we followed up on what's going on with Amazon. Now we're kind of seeing the master plan, <laughs> as it were. Uh, and this week, I want to talk about, during HackSec, I want to talk about wearables. I want to talk about things like Fitbit. In fact, Fitbit in particular was uh, part of a scandal of sorts and which is ending up being quite the lawsuit uh, that's going on. And this is a, this story is from the daily mail uh, from Jan it's from January, 2016. So this is really fresh. Uh, I'll read the title here. World's best-selling fitness monitor Fitbit accused of giving dangerous quote unquote, dangerously inaccurate heart rate reading in U S lawsuit. And I'll read the daily mail has like these little uh, quick shots at the top. I'll just read them. Uh, Fitbit owners claim tracker, is as much as 80 BPM uh, beats per minute below other monitors. Ad slogans say every beat counts and know your own heart. That's kind of important. If you're going to say that sort of thing, you might want that heart information to be accurate, right? Uh, and then the next one, let's see, but uh, company claim wristwatch uh, is not designed to be scientific. We'll get into all this, but uh, shares fell by 18% on Tuesday. So this would have been like the second week of January that that happened after introduction of new watch to rival Apple. Uh, and of course, yes, the Fitbit came out with a new a new version of it that's designed to take on the the Apple Watch, which why why failure wants to take on failure. I really have, a, have no fucking idea. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's read a little bit of the story. The world's best selling fitness tracker manufacturer is facing a U.S. lawsuit against claims that its wristband can monitor uh, owners heart rates are wildly and potentially dangerously inaccurate. Claims have been made by Fitbit owners from several U.S. states, with one saying that Fitbit's quote, do not and cannot consistently and accurately record record wearers heart rates during the intense physical activity for which Fitbit expressly markets them, end quote. One claimant described her personal trainer uh, measured her heart rate at 160 beats per minute, but her Fitbit charge HR recorded a rate of 82 beats per minute or BPM. And another found that his Fitbit surge device was as much as 25 BPM below what other trackers said. Despite the company claiming the wristbands are not designed uh, to be scientific, quote unquote, the claimants are seeking damages for the inaccuracies. Unlike other heartbeat monitor wristbands, Charge HR wristband and Surge uh, Fitness Watch, both those are both made by Fitbit, uh, both have a pure pulse sensor, quote unquote, pure pulse on the underside of the tracker. This means that instead of detecting heartbeats, they use LEDs that reflect onto the skin to detect changes in blood volume with software, then working out the difference as well as the inaccuracy of the readings. The lawsuit also makes uh, reference to the quote unquote, misleading headlines, which include quote, every beat counts end quote, and quote, know your own heart end quote. It highlights the potentially dangerous consequences to the alleged inaccuracies, which could be affecting those who have been told by doctors not to exceed a certain heart rate. In response to the claims, Fitbit have released a statement saying, quote, we do not believe this case has merit. Fitbit stands behind our heart rate technology and strongly disagrees with the statements made in the complaint and plans to vigorously defend the lawsuit. Fitbit is committed to making the best clip and wrist based activity trackers on the market. Our team has performed and continues to perform internal studies to validate our product's performance. 
Pure Pulse provides better overall heart rate tracking than cardio machines at the gym as it tracks your heart rate continuously, even while you're not at the gym or working out. But it's also important to note that Fitbit trackers are designed to provide meaningful data to our users to help them reach their health and fitness goals and are not intended. This is exactly from Fitbit and are not intended to be scientific or medical devices. Now, in my opinion, okay, that, that's pretty much the end of the story. In my opinion, then what the fuck's the point? <laughs> like, like, why even do, why even make them? If it's not going to give you, I mean, because I, God damn. Look, all right, first off, let me, let me lay out a little bit of a disclaimer. If you're into health tracking, if you're into the quantified self, if you're into all that stuff, look, it's not immoral. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do. Okay. It's not a thing for me. I find it fucking annoying, uh, and, and a waste of time. And this is kind of proving my point, but like, even from people that really love this stuff, the thing that I hear from them is that, well, you know, I like to put the scientific data together and oh boy, even if, yeah. Okay. So, you know, there's privacy concerns with wearing these things because of how much information they're tracking and they're sending all that information to servers. Uh, you know, and if, if boy, if only, and I hear it from medical professionals that are good friends as well. Saying, boy, if we just had all this data like 20 years ago, you know, that all of these quantified self devices are collecting or that even your smartphone collects, uh, man, how many diseases could we, uh, you know, have cured and, and blah, blah, blah and all that shit. Well, first off, you know, now we're finding out these companies are saying, oh, well, none of this is meant to be scientific, really. Uh, you know, it's not that good. Uh, so that's bullshit on its face. But then secondly, like you're, you're collecting wildly inaccurate data potentially here. And so even if your argument is, is that, boy, if we could just collect so much data on people, we could cure all these diseases and we could, uh, you know, come up with this, you know, all this incredible health, uh, these health, you know, strategies now and all this. No, you can't because these things are fucking inaccurate. <laughs> You're not going to be able to pull that off at all. In fact, it's more dangerous if the device is inaccurate and you are using that to collect data and to, you know, create health strategies around, you know, how to allow people to live longer and all that stuff. If the data is inaccurate, that's far more dangerous than not having the data at all. In my opinion. And I don't think it's just opinion. Very, very dangerous. I mean, it's easy. I, I, you know, I could go on and on about the whole, you know, privacy concerns over that. I've done that many times on Sovereign Tech, uh, and I, I think it's 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 crazy. I mean, and, and the amount of uh, bullshit advertising that has gone on, uh, you know, from like using kids that pass out from heart attacks, or you know, not not have not pass out from heart attacks, but pass out from health conditions to somehow sell the Apple Watch to people. We covered that before. I mean, is is just uh, I mean, that's unethical. I'm not saying the trackers themselves are per, perhaps, uh, but that certainly is. Uh, but you know this. This is interesting too. This past week on Security Now, um, Steve Gibson, who is big on you know tracking health data and all this stuff, he actually returned his Fitbits. He returned most of his activity trackers, and he had to go out and buy ones from this company that went out of business. Okay, uh, but he returned these things. He returned the Fitbits in particular because he was doing sleep studies. Okay. And in, in these sleeps, you know, he's trying to track, you know, how well does he sleep and all that. I think Steve Gibson, if I, if I remember correctly, he does like that kind of that split uh, sleep cycle where he sleeps for four hours, wakes up for two hours and sleeps for four more hours and then wakes up for, you know, whatever, 16 hours, however that adds up. Uh, and he wanted, you know, he really wanted to, to track his sleep. But the thing that he found out is that the Fitbit, because a lot of people use these and please, folks, if you use this stuff for that, 
you know, for, for sleep tracking and whatever else, if you like what you're using, go right ahead and use it. Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying you're a terrible person for using these things by, by any means. Sometimes I think I can come off that way. Okay. I'm just, I'm just laying out, you know, what, what's been said and, and, and you know, kind of how I feel about it. And I'm very, I'm a guy that's very concerned about the consumer and the individual one and the same. <laughs> okay. But anyway, he said that the, the sleep tracking was way off. He said, really, the way that it tracks your sleep, there's no difference, you know, like that the Fitbit couldn't tell the difference between whether or not you're sleeping or whether, you know, you're dancing, you know, at a discotheque, <laughs> you know, you're at the dance club. Like it, it just doesn't know. And it tracks really, really poorly. Uh, like I think it bases, I think he said it just bases it all completely off of your arm movement. It's actually not really a sleep tracker. Um, so even that, cause that's a popular one that people mention to me that, you know, that they use it for and, and Hey, it's okay. If you do, I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that these devices are, you know, being advertised in a certain way. And it seems now they can't really deliver on what they're advertising. And again, you know, I want to bring this, I want to drive this point home. Okay. <laughs> because I think it's crazy Okay, that I have so many people have talked to me about, oh, this is the quantified self. Oh, I'm going to be able to make this great health strategy around everything I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. But you know, Fitbit themselves are saying, do not, this is not, this device is not scientific. Then what are you, you're not really doing science, are you? <laughs> it's so, like, they know that these things are going to be wildly inaccurate. Are they going to get better over time? Maybe they'll get better over time, but would it be okay if, like, in the past, Companies would test it on a monkey instead of putting it out into the market, making people pay for it and getting free testing done. In fact, it's not just free testing. It's, te it's uh, you know, it's testing that makes them money. <laughs> I mean, could they do it the old fashioned way like people used to have to do where you used to, you know, companies for whatever reasons, maybe because just the heads of them were a little more ethical or something. They actually really wanted to make sure that the device they sold out to you worked before they put it out to market instead of putting it out to market. And, uh, you know, having these things give you skin rashes or having these things give you wildly inaccurate data at moments when it counts most. Especially like when doctors, you know, tell, tell a patient, uh, you know, or a client, hey, don't don't go above this much BPM. And so you rely upon a Fitbit to, to give you that BPM uh, and then it's fucking wrong as shit. Yeah, I mean, there's real concerns here to be had. Now, on the flip side of all that, uh, I kind of hope this case, not that I want any kind of legal crap or political crap being ever being done. OK, but since this case is out there, I kind of hope that this case goes through. Because there have already been cases where Fitbit data, you know, wearable data has been used in court to tell whether or not a person is lying. And if you can, if you can create the legal precedent that the data from Fitbits and other, you know, health trackers and wearables is not accurate, then we can get benefit of the doubt back. Okay. When, when people end up in court and that when, you know, insurance companies quasi start requiring and i say quasi quasi start requiring people to wear these sorts of things uh you know when you are in court and someone wants to hold that you know hold that data up against you uh you can say ah no actually according to this and this decision uh you know this this data is uh, you know can be wildly inaccurate so you can't use it to prove that i did such and such or that i wasn't this blah 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 okay so there's you know there's a silver lining to this cloud 
in that maybe this will create, you know, reasonable doubt that people can go by. And the fact that the data isn't that good, well, good. That means they're not, you know, they, them, those aren't tracking us as well as they'd like. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Between 1800 and 1900, the average number of children that women had decreased from 7 to 3.5, or almost 50%. Now, this is a spectacular decline when you consider there weren't good methods of birth control and condoms weren't in general use. They did know about the rhythm method of birth control in the 1800s, but they seriously miscalculated when a woman was fertile. Women would often douche immediately following intercourse to prevent pregnancy, which was a particular challenge because they didn't have warm water or central heating. The most effective method of pregnancy prevention was probably withdrawal or various diaphragm-like methods. In the 1800s, abortion was a normal part of birth control, and there was even a time when the Catholic Church was okay with abortion if done early. In the 1870s, there were more than 200 full-time abortionists in New York City, whose population was only a small fraction of what it is today. Back then, abortion was often safer than childbirth. The backs of newspapers were filled with cryptically written ads for herbs and folk remedies that would cause a miscarriage. And women would also try to terminate unwanted pregnancies through heavy exercise by jumping, shaking, climbing trees, and taking hot baths. Some women would even attempt to abort by sitting over a pot full of hot stewed onions. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. I'm in. That was almost too easy. Easy? More like you're very talented. <laughs> Thank you, Agent Sovereign. I hear you're very talented yourself. Oh, Pixel. Flattery will get you everywhere with me. What do we have? Blockchain transactions, smart contracts, the usual nonsense for my... Wait a minute. What's this? That looks like... Important messages. Woo! It is time for Important Messages, where I go over the emails, questions, and all that that gets sent in to me through the various channels available. Of course, there's Twitter. Uh, you can go to SovereignTech.com, ZOG.Ninja, DarkAndroid.Info. Take your pick of the uh, the web address. <laughs> you can go there, and there's a Contact Us tab at the top right, and you can hit that, and that will take you to where even, you know, there's a... There's a form that you can fill out. You don't even have to give me your email address. I don't need to know who you are. You don't need to give me your name. And you can just send me a question, what it's about and all that. Uh, so plenty of ways to get in touch uh, with the show. I even have people that still get in touch with me via BitMessage, and I really appreciate that. Um, so anyway, uh, even though BitMessage, yeah, I know there's good guys working on on improving BitMessage and having it integrate with I2P. I am really excited about that. Uh, so, you know, that's something that that's happening. But BitMessage itself hasn't been updated. Uh, you know, the original BitMessage client hasn't been updated in, boy, a year, maybe two, uh, which is, you know, disheartening to say the least. So nobody's really working on that except for that new version with I2P. Uh, and I will certainly keep you abreast. Woo. <laughs> of those uh, those changes in the future. Um, anyway, so get in touch with me and, you know, you can send me your questions and they don't have to be science or tech related, even though most of the time they are. Um, first question, we got a, a little bit of a technical question uh, last week. I believe it was I mentioned that Tails 2.0 came out and I had a lot of people ask me, OK, so, Brian, you've talked about Cubes OS and now you're talking about Tails. Uh, not that me talking about Tails is new. I've talked about Tails for years, um, but you know, which one do you prefer? Which one's better? And it's really, you know, it's tough to say that one's better than the other. Certainly cubes because of 
the way that it sandboxes every single uh, you know function within the OS, uh, pretty much. Cubes is the more I'll say secure, and, and and by default, then it can be more private too. Tails by default is kind of the more private of the two. I'll I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, but Cubes overall is certainly the better OS of the two, in my opinion. But Tails just has that, and maybe you could do this to some degree with Cubes. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't tried loading Cubes onto a flash drive and running it off of the flash drive exclusively. Um, but Tails just offers kind of a different functionality, you know, to where it's this really quick and easy, uh, you know, USB flash drive that you can just, or even on a DVD that you can put into a system wherever you are and you could do your, you know, whatever anonymous or, you know, whatever whatever shit you need to do. Um, so cubes is, is really the superior of the two, but tails it's just, it's different functions. You know, you use them in different, different settings. Not that you can't use tails as your main operating system. Of course you can. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I've done that in the past. Okay. Uh, and it has plenty of features within it, you know, to, to get shit done. Um, but th yeah, that, that's my thoughts on that. Now there is a new one out there called subgraph. Uh, that I've been looking into as late it's subgraph OS. Uh, I think you go to subgraph.com to look into it and they have subgraph mail. They have a bunch of different projects going on. I'll be keeping an eye on that. And when I know more about subgraph, I will talk about it. Um, but this is kind of a third contender into this field of really super secure and private operating systems. That is so important. I'm so glad that they're out there. Uh, you know, cubes, OS tails, and perhaps now subgraph. Uh, so that that's, that's something that's, uh, that's coming down the pike. Uh, let's see what other, what other questions do we have here? Um, I had a lot of people ask me about this and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, the flat earth theory. I'll yes. As in people that believe that the earth is flat and not round. And I mean, they have all kinds of wild beliefs. There isn't gravity. Gravity is this, uh, you know, conspiracy theory created by or this conspiracy created by the Freemasons or whatever. Uh, you know, to quote Richard Dawkins, when it comes to somebody bringing up the flat earth theory to me, you know, they're, you're not part of the conversation. <laughs> like, like it's that simple. It's that simple. I'm, I'm not going to take it seriously. What you're, what you're saying to me, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm just not, uh, there is the chance that I will be on the school sucks, uh, a podcast with Brett Vinat in the future. And we may do another conspirathon, which people really enjoyed, uh, you know, and, and maybe, you know, Stephanie will be there, too, I'm sure. Uh, I may talk about the flat earth theory then, but I am not going to talk about the flat earth theory on Sovereign Tech. I'm not. I'm just this is as much time a day as I'm going to give it. The only thing I will say about it and is it's interesting to me how in recent weeks and perhaps months, how much um, how much exposure it's getting in various media sources uh you know the gawker properties have posted multiple stories about it uh the rapper bob i guess he calls himself bob i don't know uh said that he's a flat earther uh there have been uh you know really horrendous um liberty podcasts that have taught that have talked about the flat earth theory and have given it credence without any attempted at debunking uh which is really really sad to see um so you know but myself no i'm not going to waste any time on sovereign tech talking about that i i think it's it's a, just a colossal waste of time i mean I, i'm happy to insult it uh and you know i can debunk it very easily <laughs> i mean the fact folks the, the you know this sovereign tech gets sent out uh on some radio stations okay on like pirate radio and 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 some others okay 
the fact that you can hear this on the radio debunks the entire flat earth theory. Okay. I mean, the, the, the science just doesn't stand, you know, when you, when you get into, to a lot of that, like how these things work. Um, so, and unless you want to say that somehow there's these, these secret lines running all over the place that are actually transmitting radio and that radio waves and, and, and all the rest don't actually exist. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, I can't, where do I even go with that? Like why? Oh, I could, yeah, so it's not even worth the time of day, but maybe we'll get into it on a show that is actually all about conspiracy theories, and the Flat Earth Theory, you know, is, is certainly one of those. Uh, so I'll save it for that, but bottom line, I'm not going to spend time talking about that uh, on, on this show. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, running a little little short on time, so I was going to talk about YouTube Um I'll save that for another time. Some people had requested that I kind of talk about the overall, you know, what's going on with YouTube. Uh, I will say quickly this week, they did announce that of course, now you have YouTube red, which is a $10 service that you pay for and you don't get ads and allow some functionality within the YouTube app for offline uh, uh, playability and all that. We talked about YouTube before uh, YouTube red before and how, you know, really it was a very unfortunate naming uh, process because it sounded like red tube you know, which is a porn site, but I will say this with, I, I think I finally realized why YouTube red is called YouTube red and it is to make red in the name. And it is to confuse people. I think to some degree with Netflix, or it is to take on Netflix directly. Uh, YouTube red is now offering original programming starting this month. There'll be a PewDiePie show. There'll be some other shows. Uh, and these are, you know, it's not like Netflix where Netflix actually makes some interesting television. Uh, like, uh, Marco Polo was an amazing show. Of course, originally that was a star show and that's probably why it's so good because otherwise, uh, Netflix, I'm not impressed, uh, largely by what I see. Certainly, uh, what there's that dumbass political show on there that I think is terrible with Kevin Spacey. Uh, it's mind boggling to me that libertarians love it. I think it's pure shit. Um, but anyway, uh, house of cards, right? That's what it's called. <laughs> Uh, but YouTube red is going to have its own, you know, shows. Now, uh, some people have emailed me saying, you know, what do you think about the fact that there's some, uh, there's some movies like full movies that have been licensed from say Paramount and others, uh, that are now available on YouTube and that you can watch for free and all that. Uh, that's probably because YouTube red, much like Google play music is taking on Spotify. YouTube red is going to take on Netflix eventually. Uh, so I can say that there's an overall point to YouTube that I could bring up more, but I will save that for, uh, for a future episode. Um, of Sovereign Tech. The one thing I do want to get into is the 20,000 signers. I want to take a few minutes on this, okay? The 20,000 signers being uh, the Free State Project, of which I am technically a participant of. Uh, the Free State Project, of course, is this project to, if you've never heard of it before, it is a, you can go to freestateproject.org to learn more, but it's this project to get 20,000 liberty-loving people to all live within the same geographic area. And the trick was, or not the, it's not a trick, but the idea was is that you get 20,000 signers, and once 20,000 people have signed the Free State Project pledge, and all the pledge says is that you'll move to New Hampshire and that you, know, you believe that the, the maximum role of government is to, uh, uh, you know, pr protect liberties, not necessarily dole them out and all that, you know, a very minimalist government. Okay. Um, and once 20,000 people sign, they have five years within which to move to New Hampshire. And then effectively those 20,000 people kind of take the state over and they shrink the state uh, at the very least, if not even go further than that. And, and perhaps they even secede from the United States and all of this. Um, so that that 20,000 
uh, signer number has just been reached this past week. And some people have asked, you know, how do I feel about this? Well, after a fashion, I'm kind of ex- like, yeah, certainly there, there's some excitement around that. Uh, you know, the idea that that there's the, you know, that a whole bunch of Liberty people are going to start, you know, moving to New Hampshire. And I moved to New Hampshire to be surrounded by Liberty people. I mean, make no mistake, the real beauty, whether or not, you know, the Free State Project ever hit 20,000 signers or not, the fact that there are already people here that are real, you know, liberty lovers, not all anarchists, but to some degree, liberty lovers, uh, you know, and that there's that community built in and you get to meet these people. I mean, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. And if there's going to be 20,000 people that are a little more on board, that are at least maybe against taxes and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, who, who would want, who would complain about that? <laughs> you know, I won't uh, certainly complain about it, but well, it's not a big butt either. I mean, I like big butts, but it, I can't lie, but, (laughs) but in the end, um, I'm not like, I don't know the idea of New Hampshire secession, uh, the, the, you know, the idea of creating an actual free state. And yes, that's uh, that's an oxymoron. I know, um, you know what? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I mean, I'm more interested. I mean, I, I love the idea of intentional communities and we're going to talk more about them in this episode, uh, in a little bit. but. You know, I think personally, and I'm not knocking the Free State Project, I'm not knocking it at all, but I think it's too big. Like, and I'm not saying it's going to fail. I'm just saying that I think to actually get like the kind of liberty as an individual that you want, um, 20,000 people are not going to all agree with each other. You know, and you can say, well, you're creating a system where people have the freedom to kind of act how they want and all that stuff. I don't know that that's true because... There have been some, you know, free state, free stater politicians, liberty politicians. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but they're they're out there. Um, but there, there's some liberty politicians that consider topless women to be effectively whores. And, uh, you know, or, or that that said, well, you know, if you're going to walk around topless, uh, you know, you deserve to be groped and things like this. I mean, I, I might not be getting that exactly right, but that's the general gist. Um, so the idea that you know, everybody's on the same page with how people should act. I mean, clearly you have a liberty politician here or, you know, a free stater of sorts, or at least somebody that identifies with the free state project that is saying that, you know, nudity is not okay um, in public. (laughs) So, you know, you kind of have a problem here and that's okay. You know, it's not okay. What he's saying, in my opinion, is not okay. It is unethical. It's because, I mean, it's tantamount to rape. Okay. But people not agreeing on how they want their little society to be, that's fine. And in fact, I I think it's a good thing that people don't agree. I'm not saying he said a good thing or was insinuating a good thing. I'm saying that people not agreeing is okay. And I don't think you're ever going to get a large amount of people to agree on things. I think if, you know, what I see as being a genuinely free world would, will be, you know, would be millions of intentional communities of, you know, groups that fall within the Dunbar number. Nothing new for Sovereign Tech listeners. I've talked about the Dunbar number for years, but that fall within that, you know, five to maybe 100, maybe even only 50. But I'll say, you know, that five to 100 or five to 50 range. Um, You know, that that's how I see, you know, a genuinely like if there was like a complete planet that was totally free, I think it would just be tons of these intentional communities. And each of these intentional communities would likely have slightly different, uh, you know, I don't know, guidelines, whatever word you want to use. For that. Um, so I think, 
I'm not saying the Free State Project's going to fail, but certainly I believe that, you know, kind of the, the saying that, that freedom is an inside job. Freedom is in the heart. Freedom is something uh, that, that you acquire, I think, on much smaller levels. The real freedom that you as an individual want, it's not something that, that, that's going to look all rosy in a state. Are you sick of government lackeys who say, you didn't build that? Are you tired of elitists who think you need a government permission slip for everything? Everything you do is an A to B conversation and the government should see their way out of it. Create true free markets by adopting the BIPCOT No Government License. The BIPCOT NoGov license allows user modification of any product, service, or software except by governments or government agents. Go to BIPCOT.org. That's Bravo, India, Papa, Charlie, Oscar, Tango.org. Did you get all the data? I got all of it. It's finished once we get this uploaded. That's if we can get away from those blockchain drones in time. Don't worry, I've got it covered. Over here. I love a woman with a motorcycle. Get on. A bike is always my first choice. First choice. It is time for first choice. And, you know, I'm going to talk more about intentional communities and kind of, I guess, maybe what I think on the Free State Project and all that uh, during the climax. So, if you know, if I didn't explain something exactly right, hopefully I'll, I'll knock it out <laughs> in, uh, during the climax. Um, but, you know, we talked about Microsoft earlier uh, in the show. And now, you know, there's another story that came out this week that I think is honestly, it's positively fascinating. Uh, what Microsoft is doing. Now, I'm not saying I approve of Microsoft. I'm just saying I'm intrigued by this technology getting developed. And it's at the moment, it seems to be at a proof of concept stage. Um, but what a concept. And I think you'll, you know, when we get to the climax, you'll see more of where I'm going to go with this. Uh, but I want to read about it. And it's from uh, it, this got sent in actually from a, a, a really great, uh, great listener. She's awesome. Um, and it, it's from the, the Seattle Times. Underwater home for Microsoft data center is pretty cool, which is the point. And that's that's the headline for for the for the story. And it's from February 1st, 2016. Uh, So Microsoft has tested a prototype of a self-contained data center that can operate hundreds of feet below the surface of the ocean, eliminating one of the technology industry's most expensive problems the air conditioning bill. <laughs> and I, I, I dare say it's going to solve uh, some other problems too. Let's read the story and then I want to break into it because this is really fascinating stuff. Taking a page from Jules Verne, researchers at Microsoft believe the future of data centers may be under the sea. Microsoft has tested a prototype of a self-contained data center that can operate hundreds of feet below the surface of the ocean, eliminating one of the technology industry's most expensive problems, the air conditioning bill. Today's data centers, which power everything from streaming video to social networking and email, contain thousands of computer servers generating lots of heat. When there is too much heat, the servers crash. Putting the gear in cold ocean water could fix the problem. It may also answer the exponentially growing energy demands of the computing world because Microsoft is considering pairing the system either with a turbine or a tidal energy system to generate electricity. Woo! Great idea. <laughs> Stallion breaking in. Seriously. The effort, codenamed Project Natick, might lead to strands of giant steel uh, tubes linked by fiber optic cables placed on the seafloor. Another possibility would, uh, would suspend containers shaped like jelly beans beneath the surface to capture the ocean current with uh, turbines that generate electricity. 
Quote, when I first heard about this, I thought, water electricity, why would you do that? End quote, said Ben Cutler, a Microsoft computer designer who's one of the engineers who worked on the Project Natick system. Quote, but as you think more about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. End quote. Such a radical idea could run into stumbling blocks, including environmental concerns and unforeseen technical issues. But the Microsoft researchers believe that by mass producing the capsules, they could shorten the deployment time of new data centers from the two years it takes on land to just 90 days, offering a huge cost advantage. The underwater server containers could also help make web services work faster. Much of the world's population lives in urban centers close to oceans, but far from data centers usually built in out-of-the-way places with lots of room. The ability to place computing uh, power near users lowers the delay or latency people experience, which is a big issue for users. Quote, for years, the main cloud providers have been seeking sites around the world, not only for green energy, but which also take advantage of the environment. End quote, said Larry Smara, a physicist and scientific computing specialist who is specialist who is working, uh, who is a director of the uh, California Institute for Telecommunications and Information Technology at University of California, San Diego, blah, blah, blah. Driven by technologies as varied as digital entertainment and the rapid arrival of the Internet of Things, the demand for centralized computing has been growing exponentially. Now, that's an interesting comment, <laughs> Stallion breaking in, because I think most people, you know, or at least the people I talk to, uh, think that, oh, no, no, we're going towards decentralization. That's Silicon Valley knows the VCs are putting money in decentralization. Uh, no, they're not. Uh, <laughs> some are, but most, no. Uh, reading on. Microsoft manages more than 100 data centers around the globe and is adding more at a rapid clip. The company has spent more than $15 billion on a global data center system that now provides more than 200 online services. In 2014, engineers in a branch of Microsoft research known as New Experiences and Technologies, or NEXT, began thinking about a novel approach to sharply speed up the process of adding new power to cloud computing systems. Quote, when you pull out your smartphone, you think you're using this miraculous little computer, but actually you're using more than 100 computers out in this thing called the cloud, end quote, said Peter Lee, uh, corporate vice president for Microsoft Research in the NEXT organization. Quote, and then you multiply that by billions of people, and that's just a huge huge amount of computing work, end quote. Now, Stallion breaking in real quick on that. This is really true. I kind of, sometimes I fall into calling it a supercomputer, but one of the things that, that really annoys me, and it's my biggest problem with most companies, is that usually in their taglines and in the way that they talk to people and, you know, in their, their, in their PR, it's, it's loaded with lies. Um, the computer in your, you know, the, the, the smartphone in your pocket it's not a supercomputer. I've said that before. Um, sometimes I might fall into like, you know, because the, the trope's so bad saying, oh, you got a supercomputer in your pocket. Yeah, it's a supercomputer compared to what was in the 90s. But in and of itself, it's not really a supercomputer. Uh, it's a supercomputer based upon maybe what it accesses. But the hardware itself is somewhat lackluster <laughs> in comparison to what, you know, the best laptop could do. You know, forget about going with like a Cray system or something that's on a campus somewhere that the NSA has. Uh, reading on, the company recently completed a 105-day trial of a steel capsule eight feet in diameter that was placed 30 feet underwater in the Pacific Ocean off the central California coast near San Luis uh, Obispo. 
Controlled from offices on the Microsoft campus in Redmond, the trial proved more successful than expected. The research researchers had worried about hardware failures and leaks. The underwater system was outfitted with 100 different sensors to measure pressure, humidity, motion, and other conditions to better understand what it is like to operate in an environment where it is impossible to send a repairman in the middle of the night. But the system held up. That led the engineers to extend the time of the experiment and to even run commercial data processing projects for Microsoft's Azure Cloud Computing Service. The research group has started designing an underwater system that will be three times as large. It will be built in collaboration with a yet-to-be-chosen developer of an ocean-based alternative energy system. The Microsoft engineers said they expected a new trial to begin next year, possibly near Florida or in northern Europe, where there are extensive ocean energy projects underway. The first prototype, affectionately named uh, Leona Philpot, and that's a character from Halo, uh, you know, the video games from Microsoft, uh, has been returned, partly covered with barnacles to the Redmond campus. It is a large white steel tube covered with heat exchangers, with its ends sealed by metal plates and large bolts. Inside is a single data center computing rack that ha- was bathed in pressurized nitrogen to efficiently remove heat from computing chips while the system was tested on the ocean floor. The idea for the underwater system came from a research paper written in 2014 by several Microsoft Data Center employees, including one with experience on a Navy submarine. Now, there's a bit more to the story, uh, and you can read it. You can go to the show notes for, I believe, episode 162 uh, at SovereignTech.com, and you can you know read more on it there. But I, I really I want to break into this because... I think like this is actually a great idea. (laughs) Okay. Now there are concerns. There are environmental concerns to be sure. Uh, And I want to go over those and they're real. Okay. I know a lot of people are like, Oh, that, you know, (laughs) yeah. All right. Here, here, a little side note. I hear so many podcasts and, and so many like, like Liberty people that, that make fun of trigger warnings, you know, and like trigger words and all that, like they'll do, Oh, trigger warning. It's just, you know, it's so funny. Those same people, if you say the word environment or if you say the word privilege, those people freak the fuck out. They get triggered. <laughs> they really do. Uh, but, you know, I mean, th- there's there's some reality behind these terms. And with the environment, there's some real reality here uh, to consider with this. And the the environmental concerns that could happen with, you know, these these underwater Microsoft data centers are are you going to to some degree superheat the ocean? And changing the temperature of the ocean is a major concern for the life in the ocean, uh, you know, to say nothing about the rest of the planet. Okay, that's a big concern. But they did do testing. When you read within the story, uh, you know, they found out that they were able to measure that the heat, uh, you know, the heat dispersion from from the data centers underwater was like a matter of inches. Okay, so that's not really a problem. It would be a problem if you started lining the entire ocean with these data centers because then, yeah, eventually, you know, sure. One doesn't heat up much, but you know, when you get into the thousands of data centers, yeah, we got a bit of a problem. Um, but you know, I, I think people are aware of that. That's a really simple thing. I mean, I'm not that, you know, I'm not even technically a scientist and I, and I know that's an issue. <laughs> so, so I assume they know, um, the other concern and this is something that, you know, that angers me about environmentalists. Okay. Uh, again, I, I fancy myself a bit of an ecologist, but ecology is an actual science. Environmentalism, as I've always said, is a religion. Okay. But environmentalists say, oh, well, you know, let's, let's put, um, you know, let's put wind farms, you know, giant windmills and all that, that, you know, that generate electricity. Let's put wind farms out into the ocean. 
you know, that way it's not affecting the land or anything like that. Okay. And the problem with that, though, is, is that when you build these giant wind farms, I mean, it, and, and data centers won't necessarily have this issue, but there's the potential if there is a ton of them. Okay. The problem with putting out those wind farms out in the ocean is that they create uh, uh, artificial coral reefs that change the entire ecosystem that the life within the ocean is used to that, you know, various fish and, you know, whatever other creatures. Uh, it, it disrupts everything. So doing wind farms out on the ocean is a terrible fucking idea from an environmental standpoint. But environmentalists, of course, you know, they're, they're just believing whatever, you know, some dumb fuck in the government says uh, or some, you know, some paid for, you know, bought out scientists says they're not actually most of them aren't actual scientists that that think about, the, you know, the real ramifications of what they're doing. Um, so these data centers, as long as there's not thousands of them you know, or they're not big in size, I don't think that that would be an issue. Okay. Um, but you know, if there were tons of them, then yes, you could end up creating, uh, you know, these artificial, uh, uh, systems or, you know, the, these artificial, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? <laughs> Whatever you, you, you create artificial barriers, you know, and, and, and new types of, uh, of topography, I guess, within, you know, in the ocean. And that could be a problem. Okay. So, you know, this isn't something you want to be lining the entire ocean floor is my overall point with that. But that said, you know, speaking of like why people want wind farms out in the ocean, which I think has more to do with the fact that people don't want to see them in their backyard, which I can't understand that. I think those giant windmills look fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, I love the technology myself. Um, but with, with these data centers, yeah, I mean, you know, this is going to take I mean, huge swaths of land could get transposed, you know, that, that data centers take up could get transposed, uh, you know, into the ocean. And in fact, Microsoft themselves, they've been really on, on the ball with creating servers, um, that are, are smaller and significantly more efficient. And they actually, the, like the, the servers can kind of learn on their own how to process data more efficiently. Uh, I forget, it begins with an A, the name of the chip. I don't remember what it is, but they've created a processor that, uh, that, you know, it's really, really impressive what it can do as far as a server. Now, you know, I imagine you want to say to me, it's like, yeah, but Brian, we don't like servers on Sovereign Tech. No, we don't. Uh, <laughs> I'd love it a completely peer-to-peer -peer world, and then you don't even need to do what Microsoft's doing with these underwater data centers. Okay, that, that, that'd that be wonderful, right? Um, but, you know, as things stand right now, uh, there are things, I know everybody wants to turn everything into a blockchain and all that shit. Uh, I think that's bullshit. There's things that Big Iron, that the way the world works right now, Big Iron does the better job. It does. You know, you, the only reason blockchains are a good idea is when it cuts out infrastructure. Okay. When it cuts out various services, when it gets rid of a lot of middlemen and all that. But most people that are propping up blockchain technologies still want all these middlemen. They're just turning them into blockchains. And if you're going to have these middlemen, though, some of these middlemen honestly work better, are more secure, very important, and more resilient based upon the code and the hardware that Oracle and all these other companies have put out. There's still, if you're going to have these middlemen in a lot of ways, you might as well still have that fucking big iron and big iron is a reference to, you know, servers. If you've never heard that term before. Um, so, you know, if you're going to have servers, I like this idea. I think it's a hell of an idea and it opens up a whole lot of possibilities uh, on, on what, what you could do. Now, the other interesting thing, and I kind of wonder, you know, why hasn't Microsoft tried this before? 
what what's the big deal here? Is it just to save money and save, you know, deployment time and all this stuff? Yeah, I imagine that's part of it. But here's here's a huge question. Here here's a possibility that I want you to consider because Microsoft is presently in a legal battle uh, with the U.S. government over getting access to their servers in Ireland, their mail servers. And Microsoft has effectively said, you you know, we're not letting you touch this stuff. And, of course, we've talked about on Sovereign Tech, the reason it's in Ireland is because Ireland has some very interesting data protections, uh, you know, as a country, as a geographic area and, and, you know, by their laws and whatever. And so that's probably why, you know, and, and it has more to do with like taxing with tax systems and all, you know, and all that and avoid tax avoidance. I think that's why they're in Ireland. Uh, and that's why Microsoft is probably like wanting to fend off the government from, you know, getting a look at their servers over there because there's probably a bunch of quote unquote tax cheating. Uh, of course, taxation is theft. You know, I don't believe in taxes, so I don't blame Microsoft for doing it. I think, you know, rock it out. Okay. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, what happens when you put your data centers in international waters, then those data centers become, you know, if you believe in the rules that exist, they become, you know, uh, you know, they, they become removed from the law of, you know, various geographies of various countries and nation states. That's an interesting idea. And I wonder if that's something that's really driving, uh, you know, Microsoft forward in developing this technology is so that their servers don't become prey to, you know, various laws. Um, and I think that's a good idea. And honestly, like, you know, because that's something, uh, in fact, I shared it on, on, uh, uh, at, on the at darkandroid.info this week, I shared uh, my favorite talk by Casper Bowden, who uh, the late Casper Bowden, just a great guy who worked for Microsoft actually in the past. Um, and he proved, you know, just with FOIA requests and, and with the laws in the books, he proved that any company that has its servers based in the United States, okay, has to turn over the data at the drop of a hat. They have to turn over that data to the U.S. government upon request. They just, they, they have, I mean, yeah, maybe they have to go through some legal mumbo jumbo, but at the end of the day, they need to turn it over by law within the United States. Now, what if you could set up servers that are in international waters? I mean, yes, the U.S. government, are they going to give what they want anyway? Probably. Okay, maybe they'll just splice into the lines like they did with Yahoo and Google, you know, that we found out through the Snowden revelations. Okay, but, you know, just just looking at it, you know, in the abstract, it's an intriguing idea within the status system, you know, within the status matrix that we live in uh, to do that. So I support this. I think this is an awesome idea uh, to do. And in fact, I'd love it if, you know, somehow uh, companies or, you know, groups like RiseUp.net and others, um, if they set this up for themselves and then, you know, the FBI comes knocking on their servers. It's like, sorry, you're going to have to hit, you know, 20,000 leagues if you want to get to our servers, baby. Woo! I love it. So cool technology. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launch. Return fire. Freedom! Watch Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. 
Pixel and Asian Sovereign. Welcome to Unimatrix Zero. Thanks, computer. So, Brian, looks like we have the whole place to ourselves. We do, actually. Did you have something in mind to do? Well, this is virtual reality. I thought maybe we could. Pixel, you look... I love VR. Come here, Brian. time for the climax where i get to talk about whatever the hell i want to talk about could be a movie tv show topic comic book game whatever Uh, i could talk about anything made sure i had this i've had this segment in the show for as long as there's been a show because it's important to be able to get the stuff off your chest every once in a while you know (laughs) anyway um you know i'll admit that i didn't choose that uh our, our story for first choice uh i didn't choose it randomly uh it was on purpose to bring up a larger subject. And about a year ago, uh, in fact, I was reminded of this uh, via notification, but about a year ago, I talked about on Sovereign Tech and it was, it was one of those times where I went really far out. Okay. Usually I I keep things pretty, you know, down to earth. (laughs) I mean, I talk about space often enough, but I keep things down to earth and I don't go, you know, saying, well, what's going to happen in 200 years and all that. I don't do that that often. Um, but about a year ago, I did do an episode, might've been episode 102 or something like that, where I talked about living on Venus because there was a story making the rounds at the time saying that building uh, floating cities on Venus, you know, higher up in the atmosphere would actually be conducive to human, like, like it could be pulled off. Humans could live on one of these floating cities. It would just be like living in a more hellacious version of Florida, you know, minus the ocean around you, of course. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I was like, wow, that, you know, it was so exciting to read that story. And I thought it was so cool, um, that, and, and I love the idea of intentional communities, like really getting away from it all. You know, we were talking about, uh, the free state project earlier, how that's about, you know, creating a, kind of creating a, a, a large scale intentional community within New Hampshire. Okay. And again, I, I think, I, I don't think, you know, that that number, that that size really works because you just, you can't get people to agree on what 100% freedom looks like. You know, it's like, well, get 20, like with the free state project. Okay. Kind of to clarify what I was saying earlier, it's about getting 20,000 like-minded individuals into one space. I don't think you can find 20,000 really like-minded individuals. And I gave the example of, you know, the top, the guy, you know, wanting to grope topless women, uh, you know, uh, as, as proof of that, that I I just, I don't think that that's possible. So smaller groups though, that perhaps could, you know, live on a, a, uh, honestly on a floating city on Venus, uh, is entirely possible. I think, uh, I don't, I don't see anything outlandish about that. So, you know, and what I'm about to talk with you here is equally perhaps outlandish. Maybe it's something that's long term, but then maybe it isn't considering on the story we were just talking about with Microsoft testing an underwater data center. 
Okay. And so I kind of want to, you know, it's one of the things I, I fancied and that I've talked about with people over time saying, you know, how do you think we're really going to get freedom and all that? And I've certainly, you know, floating cities. Uh, some people might remember Osiris one that I theorized uh, from the 2099 episode and all that, uh, you know, though, all those are certainly possible, but one that I don't know why it was just like a huge blind spot for me, but I think, you know, perhaps even more so plausible than going into space. And I think humanity is going to end up in space because I mean, we're meant I think we are literally meant to be a multi-planet species like that's that's just where we're going. That's that's how we operate. OK, and I, I could talk about that more uh, in the future. In fact, it's an interesting subject. But the direction that we could go is not up into space, but perhaps down into the ocean. Just as Microsoft is putting you know data centers in the ocean, could you create entire habitats not a new idea. There's been plenty of movies, plenty of television shows, including the the amazing Sequest. What what a great show that. Talk about one of my favorite science fiction shows, Sequest. Especially the first season was phenomenal. But in that, you have you know huge undersea colonies, uh, you know that that people are living in. I mean, almost entire underwater cities uh, that exist within that. But underwater habitats are not a new idea. They've been around since the 60s. They've been tried in various ways. Um, and it's something that's a lot more plausible than figuring out how the hell do we get up into space? You know, as far as building an undersea colony of sorts or an undersea ha underwater habitat, uh, you know, you build it on land and then you just get the baby down there, you know, and you figure out, uh, you know, uh, I mean, actually, the lovely and hyper-intelligent actor Stephanie Murphy and I were talking about this. I, I love bouncing ideas off of her because she's A, she's brilliant, B, she listens and she doesn't judge. And uh, C, honestly, if the idea is crazy, you know, or, you know, if it's something that's it's just way too outlandish, you know, she'll she'll tell me about it. She gives me her honest feedback and I really appreciate that. Um, but she doesn't judge me as a person based upon the craziness of my ideas. That's what I mean by she doesn't judge. Um, so anyway, I love this idea of potentially, you know, ha having intentional communities that to get away from the status matrix or to get away. I mean, yeah. Oh, there's submarines and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> you know, if you're living on an undersea, you know, an underwater, you know, habitat, if you're living in that, I mean, how are you bothering what's going on with, you know, the, the, the system above the water. In fact, I'm reminded of a quote, and this is from uh, a Jules Verne uh, book, you know, for this is from Captain Nemo, you know, 20,000 leagues under the sea and all that. And Captain Nemo, it's something like this. It's like on the surface, they can still exercise their uh, iniquitous laws, fight, devour each other and indulge in all their earthly horrors. But 30 feet below the sea's surface, their power ceases their influence fades and their dominion vanishes. Ah, Mansur, to live in the bosom of the sea. There I recognize no master. There I am free. And that's interesting to consider. I mean, you know, that, that was, I mean, Captain Nemo was effectively laying out, you know, an anarchist principle right there, you know, no slaves, no masters, and wanting, you know, complete freedom. Could you have freedom? I, look, I'm being completely outlandish. I am talking about a wild notion. Okay. Something that may never, ever come true. I'm aware of that. All right. You don't have to email. Say, oh, that boy, that Brian's is fucking crazy. You know, I mean, fine. Call me crazy. I don't give a shit. <laughs> okay. But I think that there's, there's some real possibilities here. Uh, and I mean, it's not that crazy. It because most libertarians and anarchists take sea land, 
uh, or, or, you know, the seasteading is sea lands, another story, uh, but the seasteading Institute, they take that very seriously. They want the seasteading Institute to happen, you know, to where people are building, um, you know, these, these little colonies, uh, you know, on, on the, the surface of the ocean. People are totally on board with this. I'm just saying, let's go just a little bit further and go beneath the surface and build down there. And then, you, I mean, you, you know, the, the possibilities become pretty endless at that point, you know, and then be, you know, end up being in international waters in uh, all of that. These aren't crazy, you know, moving things out to sea to get away from the laws of various geographies is not a crazy notion. It's one that lots of companies, lots of people, lots of very intelligent people take very seriously. Just most of them aren't talking about doing it as an underwater habitat. And that's how far I want to go with it. I think that'd be fascinating. I mean, you know, you just, you get however many, and it could be any different sizing of groups. Uh, you know, it could be five, it could be 50. Um, I think you, you know, when you, it could be 150, maybe, I think when you get beyond that, you start running into the problem of, um, you know, there, there might be some really conflicting notions that could be a real issue, but I think it's easy enough to find, you know, at least five to 50 people, you know, within the Dunbar number that think very much alike, want a very free life. And, you know, they, they just, they go, they go, they create an underwater habitat and they have it. I mean, and, and all the technologies are there for this to happen. Um, you know, Microsoft's proving it with their underwater servers to where, you know, you can generate electricity down there easy enough. Uh, food certainly isn't going to be a problem. <laughs> you know, even if you're vegetarian, honestly, you know, I mean, food, food is to be is could could be had uh, maybe not as easy if you're at least pescatarian, uh, but you, you could do it. Um, there's other technologies. There's the idea that, you know, you could have tubes running up from the surface that could bring natural sunlight down, you know, uh, uh, you know, translucent tubes that could that could carry sunlight into the, uh, you know, into the habitat. I mean, there's all these kind of wild ideas uh, that could be implemented that are really possible right now. Of course, yes, it would need quite a bit of funding, but it could be done. And then you would exist outside of the system. And could you, you know, would you still be able to have Internet? Would you be able to still have, you know, all these different technologies and everything down there? Yeah, I think a lot of that could get pulled off um, pretty easily, in fact. And in fact, Microsoft, again, that story about the data servers is kind of proving the point. Perhaps you could attach to, I mean, you know, you'd be just as well having your own little internet service down there. Okay. But you could just as well attach to, uh, you know, to Microsoft's Azure, which is like a quarter of the internet anyway. You know, if you set up a deal with them to where, Hey, can we run a line from your various servers underground or, you know, under the water? It's an awesome, I mean, it's, it's totally possible. It's an awesome idea. It's something that could certainly, in my opinion, could happen far easier, far more practically than going into space. Not like I said, I'm still very bullish on the fact that we're going to go to space. I think that that's happening. Okay. But as far as what's more practical, what doesn't have as many health concerns, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Underwater habitats are a real thing. Are, are they're, they're totally viable. The technology is getting proven more and more by the day. I think it's an exciting concept, you know, in intentional communities, I've said it all the time. I mean, the only way, like, I don't believe, I don't believe that we're ever going to see a, a free planet. You're never going to see an entire anarchist world. It's just not going to happen. You're going to see pockets of anarchy that happen, maybe like the Free State Project, though even that most people within it don't want to be anarchists. Uh, they still want a government, just a very small one. 
um, you, you know, you're, you're going to see all kinds of, of different uh, communities where I think this kind of happens. And it's already happening. There's already communities that are kind of pulling this off. And it's not a new idea. There's the idea of temporary autonomous zones or permanent autonomous zones by Hakeem Bey, who talked about that, where you could build, you could effectively, you know, his idea was you could take over a certain part of land or not take over, but you could live on a certain part of land or even a building. And that building could exist you know, kind of outside of the system to, you know, at least 99% of the way. And I think that's, that's really how it, how it would end up happening is that you could, I mean, that's what I've said many times on sovereign tech is that I think right now, if you got a large enough group of people and it's not very large, like I said, maybe five to 50, you could buy a plot of land and you could live a largely free lifestyle on a large enough piece of land. Okay. You'd still end up having probably to pay property taxes, depending on where in the world you did this. You'd probably have to pay something somewhere. So it'd only be 99% of the way because somewhere a tax is still going to get paid. But otherwise, you know, if you wanted to walk around nude, you could do it on a large enough piece of land. Uh, you know, you could do all, or if you're in a building, you could do it. I mean, whatever. I mean, all kinds of freedoms could be had um, if you did it with, you know, with, within that kind of area. Now, the exciting thing about an underwater habitat, in my opinion, is that you could get 100% of the way. Because if you're in international waters, you know, who's going to charge you for taxes? The UN? <laughs> I mean, like, in fact, by their own charter, they can't do that. You know, within international waters. So this is this is the way that's really viable to get 100% freedom, you know, to kind of pull it off. Now, some people might say it's like, well, if I can't walk around on the earth, it's not really freedom. Uh, well, but those same people also would, you know, if you ask them, hey, you want to hop on a spaceship, you know, and, and, and go off into space and live an anarchist lifestyle, they'd probably say, yes, well, this is just the opposite direction. And it's entirely viable. And, you know, the, the ocean is just, I mean, you know, that need for exploration, I certainly feel that need, that need for creativity and exploration. The ocean provides that as much as space, or not as much, but it offers a lot of the same opportunities that going out into space does. You know, that was kind of the cool thing, like with Sequest. Uh, it was, you know, it was Star Trek in in the ocean. That's effectively what Sequest was. And of course, some people would go so far as to say that Star Trek was just Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea in space. <laughs> All right. Erwin Allen's Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Great show. Um, you know, and Sequest is just kind of a return to that. Uh, but I, I think this is really possible. In fact, when you watch uh, sequest. Like, I think you see kind of how it could all be done and you see a lot of the technologies, uh, that make it possible. That was the cool thing about especially the first season of sequest is they, they brought on Dr. Bob, uh, Bob Ballard to be the scientific consultant. So they made it as real and legit as they could at the time. And I think it's all very possible. You know, yes, it just takes the money to purchase the resources and all that. And it takes a few like-minded individuals to be able to enjoy it. But that's, you know, I mean, and it's my opinion on it. You know, I'm an, like I've said recently, you know, I'm an egoist anarchist. I'm not, I'm not really an ANCAP. I'm not, I'm not an ANCOM. Um, I am an egoist anarchist. And egoists, honestly, when you read their works, you know, you don't need a movement. You don't need 20,000 people. You, you don't, you know, you don't even really need anybody else. I mean, honestly, that's kind of where the term egoist comes from. You know, it's just the individual. But you know, egoist anarchism can be very much achieved with just a few people. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's an exciting prospect, to, you know, to consider that. And you can have, you know, with technology today and everything, you could have varied specialities. You know, people people could be specialists in certain fields and produce things. I mean, you could still have uh, what adds up to a market, more or less, within a group of 50 to 150. You know, if it's smaller than that, yeah, maybe you can't exactly have uh, have a market per se. But then the market isn't the end all be all. 
the end all be all is the individual. I think we forget that sometimes. Sometimes people think that the market, it seems like a lot of, a lot of people that I hear uh, in Liberty circles think that the market is more important than the individual. Like that's the way they talk. No individual comes first. The market is just a means. The individual is the end. So anyway, I love the idea of underwater habitats. I think it's totally possible. I'm game for cities on Venus too. Okay. You know, floating cities. That's awesome. But as far as one that could be done probably right now, if one had the resources, yeah, yeah. An underwater habitat would work. Anyway, Thanks for uh, for listening to my flight of fancy. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Of course, if you do enjoy the show, please don't hesitate to donate. I really appreciate it. Uh, it helps out so much uh, around here. So thank you for that. Uh, Carpe Lucem, everybody. Woo! I'll see you on the other side, and I hope to see you at Liberty Forum. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.